How's it going, podcast fam? It's your boy, Jason Craig, a.k.a. The Friendly Neighborhood Dreadhead, and I'm back with another interview. Please welcome my guest today, Philip Maria. How you doing? Hey, Jason. Doing good. Doing good. All right. All right. Good here. Can't wait to have a good conversation with you today. So so tell the people a little bit about yourself before we start. Like, sure. Like what you do. What I do? Um so i'm in chicago i've been here a good chunk of my life and right now uh i am i'm now wearing my editor's hat but usually i'm a write i write comics like that's that's my that's my skill set I, I can't draw um my thumbnails look terrible uh but right now you know we, we'll go into a little bit later but right now i'm editing an anthology okay 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 so <laughs> Getting a lot of comic book writers on here. A lot of comic book writers. Yeah, I talk a lot. I, just, I can't, like I said, it's because I can't draw. If I was drawing, I'd be like looking at a table for 10 plus hours. Oh, and yeah. I, really, I, I highly respect people that can do that. It's it, it, it looks like magic to me. Like it's absolutely nothing. And then they make it purely something that never existed. And, you know, 10 hours sounds like a long time. I mean, it is. But for to like create a whole world and a whole narrative in such a short amount of time, it's like I said, it's pure magic to me. Oh yeah, I'm overriding myself. I I, I can't do the drawing. It would be just <laughs> stick figures on the page, just stick figures. <laughs> yeah. So um, what got you? So what you got? What got you into writing? Uh, it wasn't like any one direct thing. It was like my. My profession is is in as a computer programmer, so like I'm I'm like in tech. Uh, this is, that sounds so dirty, but yeah, like I'm a, I'm a programmer. I hate when people say they're in tech, um, but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's I I always took creative writing courses, uh, you know, in high school as electives and in college as electives, um, but it was just. You know, I, I never had the pursuit of writing the great American novel or writing, you know, prose. But like when I started getting into co- when I was in college, I started getting into comics okay. um, and just going through the ver- like at that time, a lot of the Vertigo series were like the first round of Vertigo's were already done. And like the second round of Vertigo's were just completing. So like <laughs> Preacher just kind of ended. Why the Last Man just ended. Um, a lot of uh you know I, I had a lot to choose from i had you know for whatever reason i never had an older person in my life or you know anyone around my age hand me a comic book i never had like an uncle that just like here here you go kid here's here's the latest x-men um so i i came at it kind of late um but like when i when i started getting into it i really got into it um and i just it became one of those things where the books that I was reading, um, it shifted from like maybe 10% of them being comics to, you know, it was, ended up being like 95% of what I was reading was comics. Um, and that was, you know, that was a little bit after high school. And then I kind of just, I don't know, I always attribute it to like, you do enough things if, you know, you pursue your passion so much that you want to kind of like be part of it. So, like you were obsessed with baseball, 
and you're you know you do fantasy baseball, you're gonna get the urge to like figure <laughs> out a, like a like a softball league in your local area. Um, same thing if you're into like if I, I guess like uh, if you're into cooking shows and you're just constantly watching cooking shows, you're gonna you know try out some recipes and stuff at home. Right. Uh, and I guess kind of like that's how I transitioned into like writing comics. I'm like, all right, maybe I'll just try writing a short story because I know, I mean, financially it's a lot cheaper to, to pay artists uh, a five page story versus, uh, you know, a, a one shot 24 pager or so. Um, but it's also like, I knew I was going to make those mistakes um, pacing wise and just, you know, communication wise and, you know, all, all the little things, you know, it's part of a growing process. So, uh, yeah, I wrote my first short story comic, five pages, um, about, I just had this initial, uh, premise of a young mother going to her parents' house for Christmas. And the father asks the daughter, you know, where's your husband? And she says, I don't know. And so I had that initial premise. Um, and so I explore that. And then once, you know, that story was completed, then I, uh, I you know, I, I highly recommend anyone listening to this that's a, that is a writer. Like, I, I pursue a lot of the hashtags, like, um, after the fact. So, like, at that time, I was using uh, Inktober. Um, I went to the Inktober hashtag and i was curating the the search so it would pull uh only art like it would view it would show me any anyone that used inktober um hashtags but anyone with the word comics in their uh in their profile or in the yeah their portfolio or profile so that way I, I know that whatever i'm looking at even though it is an illustration it's from someone that does comics um, and I do the same thing nowadays. I know Inktober isn't uh, popular anymore, and it's 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 not you know not many artists use it. But I use Portfolio Day, and I use Visible Women. Those two hashtags I'm constantly searching for. Um, you know, multiple months after the, the people posted it, because that's you know that that's the point is that a lot of these artists put their work out there, and they might not have someone viewing it the day of, but for someone like me, you know, I can just have this infinite scroll of amazing art to like find these art, art, you know, artists that I'd love to collaborate in the future. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I found Hanno, Hanno Wenzel from Germany and we, you know, we created that story together. We created to loose, um, it's an emotional story. And then I wrote another story and I, uh, about a, a man, um, kind, a man not dealing with the best way with his cancer, and he's uh, creating scenarios where he can safely almost drown in his bathtub. Um, and <laughs> I swear I write happy things, but oh, like, yeah. <laughs> so, so Kishra Mohan and Aditya Bittakar, the two of us, or the three of us, did that story, and I just kept going from there. Um, and yeah, it's just like every single step of the way, I just kept saying like, I trust your artistic vision. Like, you know, comics is a visual medium. And as as the writer, 
I don't really contribute a lot of what the reader will eventually absorb. So I'm constantly saying like, if, you know, if you think in the script that a panel needs to be removed, you need to add panels. Um, you know, I have no problem cutting dialogue because that's one of the key things that I learned early on that I've always applied for is every single bit of dialogue that's in a script is going to cover up art. And, you know, as the writer, I might add too many words, you know? So, so it's just like, it's, it's that conscious decision of like, yeah, maybe I don't need to have these many words, but on the flip side, it's because a lot of the time, whatever I'm trying to convey with the words, um, even if it's like a few sentences, usually the artists are so top notch and skilled that they can convey it visually. And then right. that flip side of trusting your reader to pick up those visual cues that they're not, you know, their eyes aren't zipping between, uh, you know, word balloons. They're actually taking the time, you know, the half second to really see what's visually going on in per panel, what's going on overall with the scene, you know, body language and things that are in the, you know, purposely in the foreground that are whatever you can say, like key objects. Um, but yeah, I just kept doing that. And then it got to the point where I, you know, I, I had a good chunk of short stories. And, you know, just like any any other creator, like, well, I want to hold this in my hand. Like I had digital copies. Like I want I want, I want the book. I want right. something on my shelf that I can point to say that's mine. Um, so I had a good chunk after about a little over a year. And yeah, just uh, and exquisite friends helped me out. I'm so humbled to help me out as far as like find the right printer and getting the big key parts, like getting all the, the files formatted correctly and all the other little thousand little decisions that, that can go wrong. Um, but, you know, I mean, printing's, printing is kind of daunting, uh, especially when you're first, when you're doing your first book and you want it to be as perfect as possible. Right. So yeah, I just, I did that. And then I just kept writing more short stories until I had, and they, I just accumulated them or I just bundled them up into a book. Um, but like, yeah, like I said, every year, every 16 months or so. And that was with my first three anthologies. Uh, those anthologies are called Crackle. And after three anthologies of doing that and all of them being successful, and me doing Kickstarters um, for one and two combined and number three. Uh, so I had two successful Kickstarters to get the word out and so I'll pay for funding costs because I was paying artists out of pocket. Um, yeah, I was like, well, I'm at a crossroads. Like, do I do Crackle 4, which I know is a safe type of endeavor or do I try something new and I still have uh, the heebie-jeebies. I'm kind of scared about doing the longer narrative, so I'm still avoiding that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was like, all right, well, you know, the last story that was in Crackle Volume 3, that's the last story in the book, is the last story that was I wrote, like, as a script, and it was the last story that was actually completed between our art team. Um, it was the it ended up being purpleized. And the story mm -hmm. is that in this world, um, 
there was an event that happened. And so it's like the world is similar to ours, but then this like monkey wrench got thrown into the mix and every in the <coughs> three minutes before you die, your eyes turn purple and there's nothing you can do about it. There's no medical help. There's no decisions you can make. It's a hundred percent accurate and it, it affects everyone. But like I said, it was, you know, it was like our world. And then this, this quote unquote event happened. Um, and so that was like the, the premise, but the story that we wrote or that I wrote and that Sean Dicker illustrated and Justin Birch, the letters for uh, the three of us did a story about um, two siblings, uh, a young boy who has purple eyes and his older sister that tries to comfort him and make the last of his, his moments uh, meaningful. Um, I mean, there's other dynamics, but it was a very grounded story. And that story has a conclusion as a beginning, middle and end, but that lingering kind of story prompt that, that rule, uh, there was something there, like even saying it, it just seems like, uh, you know, like, you know, your, your brain kind of like, Oh, I can see this. I can see like, that almost sounds like, and then thought like a, a movie or like a, a, you know, like a TV series. Like, um, so yeah, I was like, there's something here. And so I had open pitch submissions uh for six weeks just just to see what i would get like i was just like give me your crazy ideas give me your heartfelt ideas i even said like i don't care like give me a musical if you can figure out how to do a musical <laughs> comedy, just let me know because i just was i wanted like anything um it's like here's the stipulation like here's the the world um you know i was like there's you know here's a couple of jumping off points like you know i i thought that you know people would obviously find this as a form of fate like this solidifies fate because it's 100 percent accurate um and the, you know there's there's physical manifestation manifestation of the purple eyes um i thought other people might take this as a representation of the collective unconscious that our brains and our con unconscious our consciousnesses are linked um, and they're always sending each other messages, but they're not, but there's no way to know for sure. And this was like a way for, you know, humans to send each other information. And that information resulted in knowing that, you know, an eventual, you know, that person's life is coming to a close. But then I countered that by saying there's like things like, you know, a tornado. So like a human is not going to see a tornado and know it's going to like, it's going to come at them exactly 73 minutes away. Oh yeah. It's like, it's like playing around with that. I, you know, I thought like people like that, like, you know, crazy, uh, uh, not crazy, but like people that are into extreme sports, they like to hop out of, you know, hop out of a helicopter and jump, you know, out of, you know, snowboard down this huge mountain. Um, those type of folks will, uh, you know, they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm okay. My eyes aren't purple. So I can do this crazy thing. And then they, you know, they get injured or they get, uh, you know, they lose a limb or they get they get in a coma and stuff. So it's so it's almost like that. I don't know. You can say like, oh, that's not a self fulfilling prophecy, but it's almost like 
you know, like almost like an EC Comics type of thing. You're like, oh, I'll be fine. And then you're like, oh, man, <laughs> you're on life support for the rest of your life. Or, you know, you're like, you have a dislocated arm. Uh, but yeah, uh, we I just, there was 185 pitches and I, I wanted to do 12 stories in this anthology and I couldn't say no because there were just so like, just so many brilliant ideas and talented artists that I had no idea it existed. And I, I was like, all right, it's going to have to be 18 stories. Like I'm going to, the budget's going to be, be kind of high. Um, but I think it, it was definitely needed because there's a good mix of sports, sports and supernatural and heartfelt and comedy and like revenge stories. And there's just, uh that's a medical drama yeah there's just there's just a good mix and the i know i just keep rambling but like the the all the creatives uh, <laughs> we've been we've been meeting about once a week once every other week um you know everyone's scattered across the globe so we try to find advantageous times um but we've been meeting it at least you know frequently to figure out ways to link these stories together as much as possible Right. And one of the, you know, it, it doesn't, it takes a lot of effort, but it doesn't take, you know, it, it takes just conversations and it's just open communications of like, all right, well, the the main character of the fifth story is going to be siblings with the main character, of like the ninth story. And like the main, and they also have a sibling that's the main character, like the 13th story, like just things like that. And like, ways to visually represent character like maybe like a bat you know we're trying to figure out the best way to have a background character show up and like you know as much stories as possible so you just have like this dude just popping up in like everyone's story in the background but it's like well then if you have all these art styles that are vastly different um you know we have to figure out like key you know, bounce between their haircut or like a jacket or like some something cool so like something like oh it's that dude again Okay, so oh, yeah, <laughs> um, I was like, um, so would you say it's harder to write like an anthology or a more streamlined comic? I mean, I can't, like I said, I can't really uh, talk about like I, I don't have that experience of a longer story narrative. I can say, for me, writing short stories, you know. There's pros and cons, like writing short stories, I really love because you can get all your ideas out there and mm -hmm. they come somewhat quick, but you're building everything. And you, like me as the creator, um, at least my writing style is, I try to make, I try to make page one have the most amount of information possible without being too intrusive. So like, I always try to, ha like if there's, any of the main characters, I always try to have have their characters say their name. Or like, you know, I, I like to try to have their name said within the page once the reader has that initial connection of visual and, you know, name. I try to, if there's something peculiar, like for this purple story, like I tried easily trying to portray the, this idea of purple If You know, if you don't, if you you know, at that time, like I said, it was just going to be an initial short story. 
I I put the rules in there and almost as naturally as I could through dialogue, so it doesn't feel like exposition. Um, but yeah, like I said, I've you know I have another story where the main character is a ghost, but and but like I have like weird rules about ghosts, uh, like they can't pass through objects. Like if they try passing through objects, it's like you're you're splitting their whole body up again, um, like things like that. But I try to put it as much as I can in page one, so that's that's in you know, that's in the mind of the reader as you go along and you can just, then you can play around with the characters and have to make decisions. But yeah, that's, you know, but like in the longer narratives, you got more like the, the longest story that I have is 17 pages, which is close enough to uh, like a one shot. But even then it's like, you're, you're spinning that many plates. Like you don't, you know, for me as a writer, I always try to have a scene uh, last at max three pages, three, well, it's just at max, like three or four pages. Um, so, and if, if I feel like it's taking, you know, if it needs to be a little bit longer, I'll have the characters change rooms or change scenery as they kind of walk and talk. That way the reader, uh, you know, the reader feels like there's more stuff in motion if your characters, I feel like if your characters are more in motion, it kind of like helps helps things go along. Um, especially if it's a scene change, you know, you can play things with, you know, if, especially if you're a really talented colorist, like like each scene in each room um, have its, can have its own feel and just visually it just feels way different. Um, and it feels like there's a lot more. But yeah, I mean, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate that I've worked with so or collaborated with so many talented artists that I've, I've learned from all my experiences. So that, that's another key thing is like, it's, you can, you can create more stories with, you know, obviously focusing on shorter stories, but you, you know, you learn more, you learn more how people's, I guess you could say rhythm as storytellers, especially with me collaborating with so many people from all over the world. Uh, it's just really interesting where some of my collaborators like to put silent panels um, and reaction panels uh, and just page layouts, obviously, is a big one because, you know, the, when I work with, uh, you know, well, I, I shouldn't say Europeans, like it's all over all term, but like when I've collaborated with French artists, um, you know, they're, they're, um, uh, well, no, not preferences. They're the influences. Their influences are far different from my influences growing up. And the influences that they had, the people that influenced them are way different than the people that, you know, it's like, it's just like all these ideas and rhythms and storytelling. It's just, you know, I, it's, I always just kind of compare it to music. Like it's, that's why I always say rhythm. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it just ends up having a different feel, but that that pure storytelling collaboration, you know, always ends up being, you know, the best for the reader. Um, so, um, <laughs> sorry about that, Jason. It's really like I was just rambling. <laughs> no, you're fine. I, so, so uh, whenever you write your stories, right? How long, like? 
like do you try to cut it to where you know the story doesn't like you know overstays welcome like is there like a cutoff um for how long you have these um these stories in your anthology series yeah is there like a sweet spot yeah for me i built so like the first like my first initial ones were about five stories max uh, around three three pages, five stories max. And then I just kept building slowly up. So like my second anthology of the stories that I wrote was about five pages or yeah, five pages, seven pages max. And now it's roughly around, uh, like I said, seven, seven pages around most like uh, not nine pages max, but actually a lot of them, sorry, I take it back. Most of the ones in Crackle 3 are nine pages and then the 17 pager. Um, but yeah, uh, I forget where I heard it from, but you know, the writing, you, you can learn some less. There's a few story, generic storytelling lessons you can transfer over to comics. Um, cause it is a very different medium to tell stories and that's, um, you want to have your reader feel like they've entered a party or late. Like they, they're late to a party and things are already in motion and you want to have them leave the party early. Um, so that, that's why I like to have, like I said, on page one, something, the characters are already doing something. I'm not, for me, I don't like to write establishing shots. Like this is where they are type of thing. I just, I feel like the reader smart enough to like get pieces up, you know, you know, if they're inside, if they're inside a room or whatever, and then they'll, you know, they'll, they'll piece together wherever they are in the world or if it's a fantasy world. Um, yeah, I, ju I just think that's, you know, just you, especially with a short story, you had to keep the pace going. Um, just like I said, when I, I always have characters moving, even if they're in a room, um, I like to have them interacting with objects, um, like picking up things, um, or just like, you know, you can play around with that. If someone's talking to another person and the one listener is not listening because they're just like ignoring the person that has the back to them and they're just like looking at paintings on the wall or something like that, that's more, that's pure visual storytelling there. Um, you know, your characters are in motion, but you're also like, oh, this man, <laughs> this the listener is really distant. Uh, and just like not giving a damn about uh, what the speaker is saying. Uh, but then on the flip side, the speaker should be saying something that's pertinent and to move the story along. You know, you only have so many pages, um, so you don't want to just waste them, you know, saying a joke that might not land <laughs> with the reader. Sorry about that. It, I'm trying to mute my mic because somebody's car is in the back blaring. <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't know if you can hear that, but I'm like trying to listen to you, but also getting annoyed by this car alarm in the back. <laughs> it's okay. So um, for whenever you like, you know, you find artists or, or whatnot, like, is there like um, a certain style that you're attracted to? Cause I know you said something about you know European, um, uh, you know, graphic artists. Because yeah, like I said, uh, you know, people may not know it, it, it unless you like a huge like you know, 
animation nerd or comic nerd but european style it does kind of have a unique a unique style to it yeah so would you say like um like would you say like you have a preferred style for these anthology series yeah i i think i like i guess like looser lines um like the artists that i've collaborated with they're they're either traditional artists where you can see, you know, you can see like the ink on paper that they scanned, or it's similar enough where if they are digital artists, um, you know, not not everything's perfect. There's, you know, there's there's a little wiggle to a line. That's what kind of I mean by looser lines. Right. Um, and usually a color palette. Like for whatever reason, I'm always the collaborators that I choose always have kind of like a a brighter palette even if some of the colors are more muted um they, they still like play around with the oranges and the yellows type of thing um yeah like i mean flipping through the books they flipping through the various crackle books that that are out um uh, yeah that's that's about 100 pages of stories the, you know there you can see a visual similarity um you know, it's clearly done by a variety of artists, but yeah, I guess you can, you know, now that you mentioned that, Jason, it is like, you know, there's a visual tone, like type of thing. Um, and yeah, you can see like, oh, this is, you know, you can say that's like a style type of thing or, you know, it's a, it's, it's not a conscious decision. I mean, it's a conscious decision of the collaborators, I think can enhance this, the scripts that I create, but it's, uh, yeah, it's like an unconscious decision of look, you know, taking a step back and looking at everything as a whole. Because like as creators, you're just like, all right, I'm just gonna I'm gonna create the story. I'm just gonna do the I can you know do the best I can and put all, you know, all the decisions between the script and the thumbnails and the line art, um, you know, um, you know, colors the the letter stage. You know, you, you make all those decisions that you think be the best, and then when the story's finally done with, and you you know you're a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks later, you know, and you're done sitting with the story, then you can kind of see all those decisions that you made as a whole. Um, and that's another thing. If any like newer creators are out there, um, like for me, I'm very like I would say you know I would say collaboration. I've been saying a lot is you know I. The, the artists that I collaborate with were constantly going back and forth um, during those various stages. Like I always tell them that, you know, the script is just the starting point. Like if anything needs to be, you know, if I need, you know, as I mentioned, like if you need to trim, if you, if you need to trim, uh, get rid of panels, if you need to add panels, if you, if you need me to cut dialogue, uh, just let me know. Like then the only thing that really matters is how, the, the reader, when the reader's reading it for the first time, how excited and how, you know, thrilled they are and not wanting the story to end, but, you know, every story eventually ends. Um, but yeah, the, just going back and forth through those various stages and just trying to figure out the best ways to make uh, the story the best it can be. Um, and just try, like I said, just as the writer try to trim as much dialogue as possible because things will be 
better visually represented than you putting, uh, you know, putting a sentence in and, you know, almost talking down to your reader because you're like, you just assume they're not going to see that visual cue, but most most readers will. Um, yeah, I feel like I just I just have so many little, I guess, little philosophies about writing. I don't know if any of them are correct, but that's just how, that's just like my style. <laughs> hey, well, you know, at least you know you're um enjoying doing it. You're putting out multiple books because you know I'm a huge fan of anthology series because it's just nice to see well the, the different type of stories but also the different type like the like the different ways that they look that you can differ, differentiate them graphically from each other like that's why i tell people love death and robots is one of my favorite shows on netflix because you see so many different artistic styles whether writing wise or animation wise so uh, tell us a little bit about your childhood. Like, what was it like for young Philip as a child? <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> I said nothing crazy. Uh, just grew up in the Chicago, Chicagoland area. Uh, not much. Like, I mean, I, I'm in my early 30s. So I had comics tangentially in my life. So... You know, I grew up in the same stuff most people did around that time, just like the X-Men TV show, the Spider-Man TV show, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Dragon Ball Z, when Toonami was was starting to get big and starting to come out. Um, and yeah, and then toward, toward me and junior high going into high school, that's like when Sony came out. Um, yeah, Sony started coming out with all those movies. I was gonna say I couldn't remember if Sony did Hellboy or not. Yeah, but like Hellboy came out. I think that was Universal, uh, was it? I think that was Universal. Maybe. I I, can't, I have no idea. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I'm trying to think like now I'm thinking like what was on the DVD cover? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, and the yeah. Uh, Hellboy, Blade, Spider-Man, X-Men. So basically the stuff that I was watching as cartoons, you know, five, six years prior to those movies coming out. Now there's the live action ones. Um, and then, yeah, then Sin City, which was a new, I mean, yeah, which is a new thing that I had no idea about. Um, and that kind of like, you know, showed me, I mean, as much as Hellboy was quote unquote more serious it still had heavy fantastical elements so then there was um sin city which was you know gritty and non-fantastic there's obviously some, some fa fantastical parts but it's mostly humans you know being horrible to each other uh but it was based on a comic so that was always in my mind um yeah and that you know when i was starting to go into those vertigos um that I had that I was like, oh, I know the comics could be non-fantastical, but if I ever wanted to, I mean, obviously, one like I, I knew that was a possibility. Like I can always go watch, read all the fantasy stuff and read all the crazy things and the superheroes, um, or go into like the Hellboy thing, where it's it's fantasy, but it's kind of like a 
almost like a dark fantasy type of thing. Right. Um, yeah, it was just. Yeah, but as far as like, I, I keep going on my comments. Yeah, but as far as just, I don't think I had a remark on. I had a fairly unremarkable childhood. I don't know. One of three three kids, uh, eldest. So, just you know, I had that eldest, uh, or still do have that mentality of like always trying to make the right decisions to be a good example. So, you know, studied hard in grade school and high school. Um, and yeah, and in college, I was the only one that ended up going to college on my siblings. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it's that kind of mentality of just, just try to do the right thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would say because, yeah, I haven't really done it that much this time, but because I'm from the Midwest, I I apologize a lot. I say sorry a lot. Wow. I know it's like a very Midwest thing, <laughs> like upper Midwest. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay, man. Because like you know, I come from the Midwest as well. Actually, yeah. Like I was born in Minnesota, but like all my oh, family, sweet. yeah, most of my family is in Chicago. Oh, really? Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Um, Okay, so now let's get to the more fun questions. Yeah. All, all right. Say no, this is a hypothetical. You know, if if a Netflix or a stream service was to pick up your property, like we want to make an anthology TV series based on your comic, who would you have directed and who would you want to play? Who? What notable actors would you want to star in your property? Yeah, uh, I mean, one of my like let's just say let's do Purple Eyes because that has, you know, that for I mean, for one that's what we're supposed supposed to be talking about. Haven't <laughs> yeah. really talked about it, but uh, Purple Eyes has that anthology feel, like I said, especially with that seventy three minute parameter. Um, you know, you can you can start every episode with the person getting Purple Eyes, and you you know you you do it like almost like a real time type of uh viewing uh i mean for me i've always one of my favorite directors is uh richard linklater 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 um i can never pronounce his last name uh he's a texas guy he's from austin uh but he's done he hasn't really done that much commercial stuff he's his big thing that he did early on in his career was days and confused um but he's done a lot of He's wrote and directed the majority of his movies. So he's did a Scanner Darkly, which is based off a Philip K. Dick book. Um, he did a series called The Before Series, which is a super interesting concept where the the first one is just an uh, American and a, a American man and a French woman. They meet on a train and they walk through Vienna together. Um, and they say they're going to meet. They're going to meet uh, in the same place a year later. And the second movie takes place uh, sequentially. It takes takes place nine years after that initial movie. And in real time, the actors have aged nine years. And the third movie is nine years after that, after this the second movie. So okay. the third movie takes place like everyone's physically act like aged. Um, and it's interesting watching these characters 
um, and me changing from, well, not changing, but like me also aging from someone that was, saw the first movie in their early 20s. And now I'm becoming the age of the, you know, of the characters in the second movie. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll eventually be the age of when the third movie. Yes. Uh, but yeah, he, he just does really interesting things. He did Boyhood, which uh, people might know too, because that was another unique time presence where they filmed, uh, they filmed like a kid during, um, you know, they, they filmed the kid and made like a, a kind of loose story. And, uh, you know, they'd film a couple days every single year and you watch this kid grow up in real time. Um, and I forget, I forget how long it took. I think it was like 12 years or something. So you watch this movie and you watch this actual kid grow up. And it's another thing as a storyteller, like he himself is, I always say cues for him because he trusts his audience. Like, even though there's like these year time skips, uh, they happen naturally and they don't, there's not like title cards or anything. Um, you know, he just trusts his audience to just kind of play catch up and just understand that a scene change may mean they're just, he's still at the same age and then he's just going to like a, you know, like a friend's birthday party or it might be a year later. And it's, a, and it's like a, his friend's birthday party. Like it's, it's really interesting. Uh, so yeah, I would trust Richard Linklater to do some some weird time stuff. Um, but he also, like I said, he is is that pedigree of him. Re, you know, if if anyone knows Philip K. Dick, Philip K. Dick's a, a very far out there, m- mentally like psychedelic type of writer um, and a very very weird writer. Um, so yeah, the, that combination of someone that can tell heartwarming stories, but can just be super freaking weird if they really want it. <laughs> okay. So, um, now, so tell, so, um, you're, so the anthology purpleized, right? Yeah. So, uh, would you say like that was like, would you say like that this project is really close to your heart or, or like, is it something that like that's been on, on the brain for a while? Like something you want to experiment with? Like tell us a little about purple eyes. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit of, yeah, a little bit of both. So as I mentioned, I pursued this because I, I knew there was something there, but I wanted, you know, after Sean, Sean, Justin, and I completed that story. Like I, I wanted to expand upon it, but I, I felt like me writing stories within more stories within that world was not as fun and not as exciting as me inviting people, um, like open call. Like I, I mean, I can invite my friends, but I, you know, I can invite, you know, I can have just an open call and see who, who, who comes answering. Um, and you know, that's that for me, that unknown is exciting. Like I, it's, I know that it will, that the project initially was going to attract, like I said, heavily talented people, but I don't know what their ideas are or who they are, um, until they, you know, until they send me an email saying, Hey, this is my pitch and here are the creators that are, you know, here's the creative team. 
Um, I thought that would be a lot more fun. Uh, it was a lot more work. I'll tell you that much. Uh, but it was, <laughs> I, think it was, I think it was worth it. Like I said, 185 pitches, reading all the pitches, looking at every single creator's portfolios that they submitted. Um, you know, there was, for me, how I edited this initially was I had a spreadsheet and I had everyone in yes, no, or maybe. And after, you know, after I was initially slotting them into one of those three categories, whenever the pitches came in, I gave myself two weeks after submissions closed to like go through every single pitch again, even the rejections to just confirm that, you know, my initial thoughts for the creators and their ideas were, um, were in the correct category. And yeah, I just, there were, you know, none of the no's magically became yeses. There were still no's. Um, but there were a few maybes that became yeses. And that's kind of where I was like, all right, well, I need to make, I need to, this to be from 12 stories to 18 stories. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, you know, just like chatting with like every step of the way, it was just like, all right, so now I send out the emails to all these creators and, you know, I started following them all on social media so I can just be, just see more of their art and stuff. Cause I just loved all the artists and all the storytellers. Um, and just finally like sitting down, well, sitting down, but like chatting with everyone on zoom um, for those initial uh initial couple of meetings like it, everyone's just super excited just you know everyone's excitement fed off of each other and especially this type of friendly competition i should say of like everyone trying to figure out ways to link the stories together because you know everyone's coming together to build like i call it like micro and macro like everyone's trying to like make their individual story the best they can be but then they're taking the macro approach of like making the whole book the best it's going to be by adding these interlinking elements and thinking of the world <clears throat> as a whole. Um, yeah, like I, I haven't mentioned, but like one of the stories is, <laughs> it's a pretty funny one. Uh, Scott Arnold is doing a story about a music producer um, who's like, his big goal is to, <laughs> his big goal is to, to have a, you know, like a 27 track, album of people with purple eyes like you know a, a notch to the 27 club and he's like this very famous music producer and his this whole thing is um if you if you sign on to him and you know you're successful um but if you get purple eyes you know if if, if that hap if that occurs to you if you're gonna die while you're uh you're under contract with them um you have to produce a brand new song within that a lot of time um, or else all your rights and your residuals will not go to your, your family or your loved ones or so. Oh, wow. So he's like, he's like, it's just, you know, it's a little gimmicky, but the, the whole point is like, you know, that's like an interesting music story. Um, and he's a musician. So he has like a lot of visual nods, but then that plays around with, all right, this dude has gold records um, and, you know, of, of bands that he's produced. So, you know, the artists have been scattering band posters and there's like song, like fake song lyrics or in some stories. Um, 
there's there's a story of a of a kid getting puked on. Um, <laughs> the kids the kids <laughs> wearing the kids wearing uh, one of the band shirts and stuff like that. It's just like little things that are they're kind of like Easter eggs, but like we're trying to make them f- more enhanced and feel like you know Easter eggs are great, and I feel like they can be kind of gimmicky, but that's why I keep saying like it's it's interlinking, like it has uh, a focus. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I, you know, those that are listening now, uh, we haven't even mentioned how to get this book or what anything about this book. Um, this book right now is uh, on Kickstarter until June fifteenth. Uh, the goal, I will fully admit, is a lot. The goal is eighteen grand, but uh, half the money is going right to the creators because one of the key things that when creating this was I wanted to pay a fair page rate to all the creators. Um, and the only way to do that was to have such a high goal because um, all the other ancillary things like Kickstarter fees and taxes and printing costs, those those fill up. But like I said, the main focus is to pay all the creators a fair page rate, um, especially uh, I didn't have mentioned in the past, but one of the things that I'm always proud of is for my anthologies is having newer creators, like newer creators with high talent um, and setting those type of, I don't know, good standards early in their creative endeavors of asking for page rates, giving, um, you know, discussing, uh, I guess you can say rights, like media rights, publication rights, and, you know, giving that to the creators as well, because we're all co-creators of these stories. Um, You know, I mean, obviously, rights are a little bit different this time because we have 33 creators, but I still told all the creators, like, listen, like I, all I ask is for printing, like printing rights. And, you know, those that back the Kickstarter, they get, they get first access to these stories. But after that, if you want to make a zine, if you want to do something else with your story, you are the creator, you create this individual story, you can do whatever you want with it. Um, And having, that be, I guess, kind of like a safe space for the newer creators because, you know, when I was first initially pitching or when I first initially coming up with, you know, my verbiage for um, like that, like when I was coming up with like, uh, not rules, but like just like all the information I can about for how to pitch and like what, what how the uh, rights and stuff are going to be. I was looking at other verbiage from other uh, open anthologies at the time. And they were like really predatory rates, like $50 or 50 euros um, or so page rates. And that just, especially if you have it split between a full creative team, you know, that's, that's too low. Like people, you know, and our, any creators are going to be eager to see their name in print or just to have that fulfillment of being paid for any type of creative work that they might just be doing for themselves for free for a number of years. I mean, I I think that's not good enough. I think being able to pay um, creators the best rate that you can be in like the bare minimum, I mean, like the bare minimum they should be able to like, you know, not be paid for, you know, basically like 
five dollars an hour type of of how much work and they need to complete the page is just yeah i rather i i, I kind of bounce bounce back to the beginning but whenever i quote like when i was doing stories that i wrote myself and um you know i, I mean obviously i paid the artists for every single story that that's in the crackle books um but i always told them like like i don't want this to give you more stress like if you need to put aside our story because you have a more demanding client um then yeah that's fine like if, if we need to push the deadline a little bit that's okay i know this one like for this i've scheduled and allotted three months for the creators to do their stories and i've told everyone like don't I don't expect anyone to begin working until I pay you because that's how it should be. I mean, you can right. be, you know, if, if you want to work on character sketches and, you know, the writers, if you want to like come up with plotting outlines and stuff, you can go ahead and I'll use whatever, whatever you have and I'll add it to the Kickstarter page. But like, you know, I, I don't want people to start working on this in April. And when we finally get the money, uh, in the bank account, which would probably be closer to early to mid July. Um, yeah, like I don't want you working all that time and then you finally see some money for, for all the work. Like, I, you know, you can spend that time wisely. And even if it's relaxing and not worrying about this project, that's perfectly fine. Um, or pursuing, you know, like I said, pursuing other, you know, financial endeavors. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I just, I don't know, I was, just pay artists, pay artists a fair, fair wage. Right. So, <laughs> I know you, I know you're fine. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. So with Purple Eyes, why the fascination with Purple, with, uh, with, uh, you know, the color purple and that, uh, and, like, and, you know, Purple Eyes, I, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. Um, uh, I will say it's not that thrilling of an answer. I, you know, I've, I've been trying to think of like a good, a good lie slash story to, to tell, but there really, <laughs> there really isn't. Like, I mean, you're a writer too. You're just kind of like, all right, I guess that's the idea. So I just thought, you know, the initial thought was finding a way to visually represent death, I guess, or like knowing that you're going to die um a better way you know like obviously they want to do like something like final destination like flash fours or something um and i didn't want to i don't know i didn't want to i wanted to do something more visual based because obviously comics um but i was like oh you know the eyes are the windows to the soul then i don't know why i was like oh it's gonna be purple like there was <laughs> there was like no other rhyme or reason I was like, oh, it's gonna be purple um but yeah like it's you know, you get, you get an idea and then you start exploring it. So was, I was, you know, I don't know what this means, but like, you know, on the color spectrum, there's Roy G. Biv and Violet's already, you know, Violet's on one end of the spectrum. So maybe, maybe that has something to do with it. But I mean, I mean, I just like purple. Like it's, it's you know, it's kind of a striking color. You don't really see it played in with, like things like even in advertisements you don't see like purple being used that often like it's 
it's like an underappreciated color, but it's just, <coughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, now, um, do you have a favorite story necessarily from this from this group of short stories? Yeah, uh, I'll say I'll say the one that well, there's two that really struck me when I read the pitches. So one was by uh, Raymond Chira. So she and uh, Shadi Amin and Kyle Eko, the three of them. Yeah, there's no colorist. Uh, Shadi is no color. So the three of them are doing a, the medical drama one. And, you know, I received a lot of pitches that were almost like logical puzzles, like, oh, this. Uh, research medical researcher figure out a way to cure purple um, and like reverse it and like their eyes stop becoming purple and that was didn't seem that interesting to me because stories to me are people making decisions and you watch those decisions as they mess up and do stupid things and selfish things but you still watch them do it um, or you you know you watch people make the right quote unquote right decision but you know Making people, watching people make selfish decisions is kind of fun too. Um, but um, in, in stories, not in real life. And in, in real life, you're just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, Raymond had the, this really interesting take is so she had the only one that was a frontline worker, someone that worked like in a hospital that was a nurse. And in, she viewed it as that um, you there's like an unsaid rule that you do not treat per, people with purple eyes because um, you know even though it's guaranteed and they're in the hospital, um, there's people you know they're going to be like grieving um, grieving family members trying to do medical lawsuits. And try to sue you and so she had she wrote a story based off of someone that obviously wanted to quote unquote do the right thing and treat someone with the purple eyes but almost you know she's playing around with it right now we're trying to figure out the best ending or she is i should say um of like almost like i said a self-fulfilling prophecy like does she you know does the the nurse accidentally over inject you know or whatever it is not over inject but like does too high of dosage and you know actually does kill the person like things of that nature uh, i thought it was really interesting just like thinking of like what is the actual day-to-day -day life of someone in the medical field um and what that atmosphere is like um and the other one that really struck me was there was and from my collection, there was three, three stories that were all about boxers. Um, and, you know, like I love sports, sports and, um, you know, in, in manga and in, in American comics. But like the ones, the two of them were pretty much usually the same punchline of, of, of literally that of like the person goes into the ring and the main character dies in the ring or, you know, um and i was like 
but the one that got in, uh, I'm blanking on who the writer is that, but uh, Neenand, I forgot what Neenand's last name is. Uh, he's from, he's from Serbia, so I can't I cannot even pronounce his last name if I tried. Uh, it's mostly because I I'm stupid American and don't know other languages. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's mostly my fault. <laughs> I'll fully admit that. But uh, their their story is a take of the a boxer gets purpleized before he goes into the ring, but the main character is the, that boxer's opponent, and so the main character fully knows that that his opponent has purpleized, and knowing that most likely. You know, going into the ring, he knows most likely he will be the cause of this person's death. And it's just the crazy, you know, it's as you read the story, it plays out, um, you know, and the, and the the boxer wins, the main character wins, and then that boxer eventually dies. But it sits with, the story keeps continuing, and it's the aftermath of all that. And so, like, now, now the main character really sits with that decision of, like, did I kill this person? He's like, I gave it my all in the ring, but there were so many other things like he, my opponent who died also consciously stayed in the ring and, and knew before the fight even began that this might happen or most likely will happen, but still continued and pursued and, and fought. Um, Cause that's, you know, that's just their passion. That's their life. Um, but then everything else, like, the referee didn't stop it at all, knowing full well, like before the match even happened. The audience didn't stop the fight from happening from the beginning, knowing full well that this was most likely out. It's like just thinking of the scope of that, I was like, that's just so brilliant. Um, but it's also like the weight of the choice that you make and the, the other people that other people make, knowing full well what the outcome is, but also knowing full well that the choice of your opponent like willingly doing that um, and going in the ring and dying, you know, knowing that most likely die in the ring, but knowing that there was no way, you know, there's no way to change it. Cause like I said, it's a hundred percent accurate. Like I thought that was brilliant. I mean, not to belittle the other 16 stories in, um, in the anthology, but those, those, those just reading the pitches, those really struck me. Um, and I know that the artistic teams are going to just visually represent that. And when the final script and dialogue's all in there. Um, yeah. That one is actually, to be honest, while you were explaining that, I was just, I was just picturing that in my head as like a short TV episode, because as out of a, a lot of the stories that you like, the story that you talked about, I can actually see that one inside of a mini series just because I was playing that out in my head. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Like I said, um, that I guess that's why I like I guess that's why I like anthology series because either you can go the route of, you know, um just different stories with no with no type of um canonical connection or canonical connection, or you can have it to where there's a common theme in each story, which is the ones that I like. So that, that's why I purpleized it and it interests me because 
it's it's like all these stories deal with you know purple eyes and, and like you know so it kind of so you're kind of embed like if you're reading throughout if you're reading all 16 stories you're invested in all 16 just because it has one common theme in all the stories yeah and that's the thing too like we consciously are like not we trust the reader like we're not going to constantly <coughs> we're not going to be like all right this is purple like we're not constantly going to reinforce that with the dialogue like all right here's the rules they just they know when you like pick up the book that you you understand the concept um so that's that's the also fun thing is like you know there are a few stories that play around with that we're like as the reader, you know someone's gonna get purple eyes, and you kind of play play around with that. Like, I don't know. I I no one did it, but I thought of like when I was coming up with like just brainstorming ideas, I thought it'd be funny, almost like a, I don't know, like a old timey cartoon, like maybe like an old, uh, not not a Wiley e. Coyote and the oh, I guess you can say like Wiley e. Coyote and like the Roadrunner type of thing, of like you know the main character gets purple eyes. And, you know, they walk underneath, you know, they're walking down the street and then like a car looks like it's going to hit them and then swerves and, you know, it doesn't hit them or like, you know, something happens. Like they, they walk underneath a, someone lifting a piano and the piano falls and misses them type of thing. And then like they, I don't know, something super silly where they, they like sneeze and they fall down and die or something like that. <laughs> Like, like no one did that. Yeah, I was I was hoping someone would have something kind of clever, like a bunch of like visual gags like that, and they had that that old <coughs> uh, cartoony style, like you know, like Sunday morning cartoon styles um, or newspapers to say. Uh, but no, I got I got absolutely none of those. No one. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, um, I mean, we. Right now, I'm calling this volume one. So, like, the idea is that, you know, we get the funding, uh, or I should say when we get the funding, uh, and the, all the creative teams have that three-month period um, to create the stories, and then, you know, then I send it to the printer, and it's, you know, it's the same print. Like, it's, you know, I, I haven't mentioned this in the beginning, but, yeah, this is my fourth anthology and my third Kickstarter. So like, I know how to schedule everything and how to make things, you know, how to complete projects and yeah, send this to the printer. The idea is to get, uh, there's enough allotted kind of like wiggle room, some type of filler to make sure that the books get into everyone's hands by the end of the year. So in early 2023, um, then we're going to want to start going to pre-production of crackle, uh, not crackle of uh, purple eyes volume two um and do the whole process over again again and pitch submissions so maybe maybe someone someone will, will fulfill my dreams of having just a, basically a visual gag <laughs> a silent <laughs> visual gag type of uh sunday morning cartoon uh, we'll see probably not <laughs> oh, you never know you it might <laughs> you, you never know you never know yeah. how people's minds are working <laughs> so uh like oh i just know we've been here for out for almost an hour and 10 minutes oh man <laughs> so we're gonna so ask some of the fun questions now okay uh so 
out of okay, you know how there's a Mount Rushmore, you know, four faces, you know, four notable faces. So for comics, for com for the um for comics for you, what would mm-hmm. be the Mount Rushmore of comic book writers? Oh, uh for me, the ones that influenced me the most, uh Grant Morrison influenced me a lot. They were the first writer that I fully pursued. Um, you know, like especially there was a time, I don't know, like in the nineties or so, uh 90s, early two thousands, they were doing a whole bunch of like mini series and they were just doing crazy ideas, obviously with the invisibles and we three. Doom Patrol, all that other stuff, but they were just doing, you know, miniseries like Flex Mentello. Um, I mean, We Three was a miniseries. But yeah, they've always been a huge influence on my life. And actually, the book, I don't, I don't got it here, but it's near my bedside, but I'm currently reading uh, Proctor Valley Road that they did um, from Boom last year. It, it, you know, Boom takes a quite a long time to, to, had their trades come out. So uh, so I'm finally reading that. I'm really liking it. Um, and then two, two would probably be Mike Carey. Same thing with like me getting to Vertigo. Um, I got, I started reading The Unwritten and The Unwritten is basically about liter, like just like a, like a nerdy look at literature and like the power of words. Um, and I always thought, I haven't done it yet. I mean, I say yet, but like I always thought like if I ever get a tattoo, I'd get a quote from that, that uh, story. And um, there's, there's a, there's a quote that almost builds throughout the, the, there's like a phrase that builds almost throughout the, that uh, 75 issue run. Um, In the beginning, it says like stories are the only thing that are worth dying for. And like the beginning talks about like how stories kind of formed like popular opinion and some wars and stuff. Um, uh, at the end, he inverses it and says stories are the only thing worth living for. And so I always thought that'd be a good tattoo. Um, or it's, or it says like, I guess it'd probably be on my arm. Like, it'll say like stories, the only thing. And it'll say like living for and dying for like, like it'll tangentially split. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, Mike Carey, because you know, even you know, more of his stuff like the Lucifer is obviously huge. That's another super long run, which is a lot of stuff going on. Um, so we got Grant, Mike. Uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, there's like some that are true cartoonists that um, that are newer that, that I just keep. That like do everything so I, I mean this is comic books so even though the writers and they're you know pure cartoonists they're doing everything so they're doing the writing portion and they're making the decisions narratively done visually so like sloan leong probably pronounced her name wrong she does prism stalker she did uh map to the sun and why well, am i forgetting her other book whatever um so those the Map to the Sun was like my favorite book that I read, I guess you can say like like during height of quarantine. So I was reading a lot. Most people were reading a lot during 2020. Um, and I picked up a Map to the Sun, which is just like a kind 
kind of why grounded book about basketball um, and growing up, um, you know, like a YA book, but like her color decision, like there's just like vibrant neon pages for no reason other than visually and the characters are very grounded, but then she does something called, she does a story before they call prism stalker, which is just a psychedelic mind warfare sci-fi book that I've never read sci-fi like it ever. It's just like crazy. Like, I don't know. It's like, it's all has to do with like mental fortitude and like bending people to your will. And it's like, just all this crazy sci-fi and like, like I said, sci-fi. Um, and it's just all done visually. I'm trying to think who would who'd be, I guess the other one would be Tilly Walden. And, you know, I love, you know, I love all of Tilly stuff. Um, she's super young. She's probably like 25 or 26 at this point. But yeah, she's, she started, she did a couple things early on, like when 1920. I think she was 21 or 22 when she wrote her memoir about her being a child athlete in the figure skating world and the lessons that she learned. Um, and yeah, she did a thing. She did a book called on a sunbeam, which always makes me cry when I read it. Um, what else? Oh yeah. Are you listening was the newer one. And then she's for some reason, I, I say it disgruntly, but I, I'll still read it. But she's she's doing a Walking Dead book, which will be out in a couple weeks. Um, but yeah, so those those four because I know, regardless, like Tilly and Sloan um, are newer creators that are you know roughly young, and Mike and Grant are old. Um, but like I, I know that I can always go read more Grant stuff or more Mike stuff. Um, and I know that I have many decades ahead of reading, you know, Sloan and, and Tilly. Um, yeah, it just, it, it's crazy to think that, like I said, even though Tilly's doing a Walking Dead book, like, I'm excited to read it. Like, it's just like, I know it's going to be completely different. Um, and like, I just have so much more. Like, yeah, Sloan did a Kickstarter not too long ago um, for Indigenous people indigenous creators doing horror. Um, and of course I backed that. Um, and so that, that anthology should be coming out, I'm guessing within the next six months. Uh, but like, it's just like, there's so many projects that, that all these creators have yet to create that I just can't wait to read. Okay. What about you, Jason? I'm pointing the microphone to you. Oh man, that's easy. Well, you know, <laughs> Mount Rushmore, it's gotta be, you know, the man himself, Stan Lee. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Stan Lee, he gave me one of my favorite comic book characters of all time in Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah. And then um I would go Frank Miller, of course, because Frank Miller, he changed, I would say he changed the way that people perceived comic books. They weren't just the funny books no more. That he wrote probably one of the best Batman stories ever in The Dark Knight in The Dark Knight Returns. Um, let's see. Oh, who is that now? Two dang, that's hard because two people, two people <laughs> are gonna get left out. Two people, um, I'm an, oh, okay. Since since manga, since manga is basically comics like Japanese comics, I will have to say the creator of Berserk because he inspired yeah. a generation 
of dark fan of dark fantasy writer author. So I gotta put him there. Also, rest in peace to him. Um, now fourth one, man. This is really hard because somebody is gonna get left out. But um, uh, you know, uh, dang, this is hard because because I, <laughs> I, I wanted to. Say, there's some people like I could say Bob Kane. I could say Steve Ditko. I can see, um, I can uh, talk about the Jewish uh, men that made Superman. It's just so hard, yeah. but I, I mean, I guess I'll go with Steve Ditko, like, because he also made so many characters that, that you know, that are iconic. Like, just Steve Ditko and Stan Lee, man, they, 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 they were the men back, back in the day. Yeah. And like, without, without, I feel like without those people, Comics wouldn't be shaped like how they are today. Like we probably still be reading comic strips. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so put put me on the spot there. How's that feel? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> but uh, now, if you could go back in time and give your younger self advice for the future, what would you tell yourself? Mm. Uh, just to trust yourself more. I mean, that's something advice that I I'd like to hear from myself now, type of thing. So, and I know that growing up, uh, I've never been someone that's been um, like plagued with indecisions, but I've always I've you know, I've had bad anxiety since I was a kid. Um, there's always second guessing and mentally coming up with worst case scenarios types of stuff in my head. Um, but in the same sense, that gave me, that always had, gave me a better perspective of like to cherish when things are good because, you know, for whatever reason, I just always had, you know, worst case scenario ideas always playing in my head. Um, but yeah, it's just to tell myself to trust myself more. Um, I never, you know, I've not, you know, knock on wood, I've never had any horrible thing in my life or decision that I made that I terribly regret. Um, but in the same sense, I just know that, you know, I've always been mentally hard on myself for, um, you know, trying to over evaluate things instead of just kind of trusting in my own, you know, morality and, um, and, you know, empathy to think about others. Okay. That's some good, that's some good advice. Mine would be to stop spending so much money, but <laughs> <laughs> um, now last question before we get up out of here, what do you want the legacy of the legacy of Phil Mario to be like when we're, Deading when we're dead and gone, and the next generation is here, either helping the world or ruining the world. What do you want your legacy to be remembered by? Uh, I think, yeah, I just, I mean, I don't I should say like my those stories that I write, I don't have them as morality tales or things that. I wish were more into the world or, you know, like my, my, my stories aren't very messagey. 
they're just kind of like scenarios or characters that I kind of want to play around with. Um, but like, I, I want people that read my stories to, to, to learn more about empathy into caring about other people. Um, I think like one of my favorite authors is, is Kurt Vonnegut. And that's always been his ethos is just like, you know, he, he did a lot of sci-fi stories, but they were like sci-fi comedy. Um, and he did like a lot of, um, you know, more traditional, I guess you can say narratives, but all, all the stories basically were like, Hey, look at this super absurd thing that happened, but these people are still nice to each other. Like, you know, <laughs> the sci-fi ones are like the world's ending, but these people are still nice to each other. Yes. Or like, like these people are like, you know, evolution's all messed up because there's like only four people left and everyone's inbreeding, but they're still nice to each other. Yes. Uh, that, was, that was Galapagos, that book. <laughs> but it's just like, uh, it's like, that was the message. It was like, there's always going to be, things that are terrible and utterly, but like, as long as you, you yourself are, uh, have kindness and just show kindness, uh, that's the one thing you can, you can control. Um, you can't control the, you can basically control little to nothing. Um, and, uh, I mean, yeah, that's what, <laughs> that's what, uh, that's what's in Slaughterhouse five. He's like, He's like Billy Pilgrim cannot control the past, the future, or the present. Um, but throughout the whole thing, he he does try to be a sympathetic character. Um, yeah, I think that I just hope that those that read my stories um, get that that feeling that um, yeah that that there is this just to be nice to each other. I, I don't know how to put it. Like it sounds cheesy and it sounds like a, you know, a Saturday morning cartoon for children, but just, it's weird to say like, be nice to each other and hopefully people read stories and they're nicer to each other. Uh, yeah. It, it, yeah. It feels like I, I keep, I keep doubling down on this, but yeah, it, it shouldn't feel like a, a, a silly message like it should it should be like common sense but yeah well you know be nice we all need to be nice to each other especially nowadays especially nowadays yeah we're all we're all stuck on this stupid rock let's just be kind to each other yeah and stop killing it let's stop killing the the, the rock that we're on yeah, <laughs> yeah. man i had so much fun talking to you tonight like I said, thank you for bearing with me because I know I had you waiting for an hour. But you Not know, all right. but you know, money, money has no time, sadly. <laughs> but all before right. we but before we get out of here, uh tell the people where they can find all your work at, like your website, you know, your your Kickstarter, you, you know, if you're selling any any bookstores. Yeah, all the good stuff. Um I'm mostly on Twitter. Uh, with my name, Philip Myra, so P-H-I-L-L-I-P-M-A-I-R-A. Um, same thing, I'm on Instagram with that. Uh, type that into, that's the URL, philipmyra.com. So that has, uh, I have previews of all my stories uh, and where to get them. 
There's a web store. You can get digital copies, physical copies. I'll mail them out to you. My office is basically a small mail room. I got a, you know, I got Gemini mailers and a thermal printer to print shipping labels. Um, and then, yeah, I've been super lucky that uh, I've collaborated or I've had my comic shops at oh closer to 30, yeah, close to 30 shops all across the United States, most in Chicago, but they're, they're in every single corner of the United States. Uh, that full list is uh, on my website as well, where you can get it physically if you, you know, you want to go support the, your local comic shop. Uh, but yeah, uh, the Kickstarter, as of uh, listening to this, it should be live. It's live until Wednesday, June 15th. Um, and yeah, type in Purple Eyes on uh, Kickstarter. If you're listening to this way, way, way into the future, uh, I made a URL called purpleeyescomic.com. And it'll right now it'll forward you the Kickstarter. But if you're listening way, like I said, way into the future, it'll point you to my web store so you can get it from there. So yeah, purpleeyescomic.com is probably your best way to get Purple Eyes whenever you're listening to this. Well, yeah, I'm going to try to get this out as soon as I can. But y'all, I've had fun tonight. Hopefully, Philip, you had fun with me. I had a great time, man. We went overtime big time. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Like, you know... Sometimes tangents, tangents, people love tangents, and I don't mind people going off on tangents because I just I just enjoy seeing people just enjoy and just enjoy engaging in conversation. Yeah, positive tangents. Oh yeah, po- 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 always positive tangents. But y'all, we about to get on up out of here. And you guys know where to find us either at facebook.com slash bring the popcorn, or you can email me at bring the popcorn93 at gmail.com or yeah at gmail.com with any questions comments or concerns and philip has already given you his info but just remember when you always come to these reviews and interviews just remember to always bring the popcorn all right guys we are out of here